You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying, listen, don't get caught up in all that, and that's good, and that's fine, and that's for here, and that's now, and I've given you that authority and that power, but listen, that pales in comparison to the privilege you have that your names are recorded in heaven, recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. When we watch the power and authority of God at work in the world through us, it's easy to get distracted. Jesus gives the disciples a worldview adjustment and reminds them to rejoice more about their names being written in heaven than over any display of power here on earth. Pastor Danny says that all of that stuff is for here, but your name in the Lamb's Book of Life is forever. The greatest miracle ever performed was Jesus on the cross, giving his life so that you could be in right relationship with the Father. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 with today's edition of The Living Word. death or the second coming of Jesus Christ, all of us, and that's what Hebrews 9.27 says, all of us will face judgment. Those who are lost will face what we in Bible college circles call the great white throne judgment. Why is it called the great white throne judgment? Well, Revelation chapter 20, listen, verse 11, John says, I saw a great white throne. That's why we call it the great white throne judgment. And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no longer any place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Fascinating that God's recording deeds. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Not a good thing. If I'm judged according to what I've done, I've done a lot of bad things. And then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Hey, folks, listen up. Listen carefully. This is, a, this is a judgment you want to avoid at all costs. You want to avoid the great white throne judgment because all who stand before the great white throne judgment are judged according to what they've done. And if you're judged according to what you've done, if I'm judged according to what I've done, I'm in real trouble. Real trouble. Revelation 21, 27 After the tribulation period, Jesus comes back. Uh, New Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Uh, God creates new heavens and a new earth, and the capital of the new heavens and new earth is this new Jerusalem. 
And one of the things he says about this capital city is verse 27 of Revelation 21, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there's another clue to this book of life we read about in Revelation 20. It's the Lamb's book of life. It's referred to as the Lamb's book of life in Revelation 13, 8. Hebrews 12, 23, the church of the firstborn whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus sends out 72 of his disciples on a short-term missionary journey. He gives them power like they've never imagined. And after they come back seeing people raised from the dead, people being delivered from demonic possession, I mean, it's just amazing what, what they were able to do by faith uh, and the power that Jesus had given them. And it says, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 19, and he, Jesus says to them, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However... Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying, listen, don't get caught up in all that, and that's good, and that's fine, and that's for here, and that's now, and I've given you that authority and that power, but listen, <laughs> that pales in comparison to the privilege you have that your names are recorded in heaven, recorded in the Lamb's book of life. When I was 19 years old and I prayed in my front yard and I repented of sin and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, really, in reality, what happened in heaven, I don't know if Gabriel wrote it, I don't know if another angel wrote it, I don't know how God writes it in there, but my name, Danny Hodges, was written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is why now, because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, I'll never stand before the great white throne judgment. I won't be judged based on what I've done in terms of my sinful past and my sinful present even because Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin and now that blood and that sacrifice has been applied to my life and my name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life because he purchased me, he died for me. Whoa, praise the Lord, man. Woo, that'll turn you Pentecostal. But I will stand before the judgment, not the great white throne judgment. I'll stand before what Paul said all of us Christians will stand before, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, he goes on there, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and he says, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged for the things done in our body, whether good or bad. Now, don't get confused with that. See, I'm not perfect and neither are you. Uh, Christians and those Old Testament saints who looked forward to the coming of Christ, King David, they're not perfect. Look at the sin David committed after uh, he, he was a man after God's own heart, committed adultery, committed murder. Listen, you can commit every sin you committed before you became a Christian except one, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is just rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit to who Jesus is. So I'll be judged, and you'll be judged. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 says that Fire will test our work. Revelation, when Jesus appears before John in the Revelation, the book of the Revelation, his eyes are like flaming fire. 
And I believe that's what it refers to. He knows all. He sees all. And as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, things I've done in my service to Jesus Christ, places, areas I've failed in, and submitting to him, whatever it might be. It says that the fire will test each man's work. And if your work survives, you'll be rewarded. But if not, your reward will be burned up because of the work and your failure, whatever that failure is. And it says an interesting thing, that he himself will be saved yet as one escaping the flames. The idea is some people will just make it in just because of the blood of Christ and there won't be any real commendation. Good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, some people hear that and they go, well, that's fine with me. That's, that's okay as long as I get in. You got to be kidding me. You really want, no, come on. You really know him. You really know him. I want to hear him say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, how to be prepared. How to be prepared. That's the bottom line. That's where we spend the rest of our time. And Jesus answered that question. Matthew chapter 25. Go there with me. Matthew chapter 25. After he gives all the signs of his coming to his disciples, then chapter 25, he tells them in chapter 25 in three parables how to be ready, how to be prepared. And I'm going to read each parable. Listen carefully. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who buy oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. That's relationship. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Let me just say quickly, some smart people dig so deep into this parable that I think they lose the natural surface meaning of it. I don't think you have to dig deep. I think you've got to read it and just think about it. Some people suggest that the five foolish virgins are Christians that aren't prepared when he comes, and so they've got to go through the tribulation period. I think that's absolutely ludicrous and unbiblical. You just read the parable and think about it. Listen, all ten are virgins. They all have a commitment. They all have a commitment, all right? They're virgins. They have a commitment to religious purity. They all fell asleep. They're all imperfect. All right? What's the difference in the wise and the foolish? The oil. That's the difference. Oil in the Bible is a type of the Holy Spirit. And I think if you just read and think about it, that's the message of the parable. The five wise ones 
Oil. The five foolish ones. No oil. Because their light began to go out. It was their own works, if you will. And here's the bottom line. If you're going to ever see the kingdom of heaven, you're going to need more than religious commitment. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus at night. Folks, you can't be a Pharisee without religious commitment. That's the whole idea of being a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, we know you're from God because nobody could do the things you're doing unless they were from God. Now, that's quite an opening statement. You know what Jesus says in response? He goes right for Nicodemus's spiritual juggler because he knows his greatest need. Despite his religious commitment, Jesus says to him, unless a man is born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus says, how can a man go back a second time and go into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying to you, you must be born again. Being born again is simply being born of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the conviction. And now as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God does a work that only he can do and only heaven can do where the Holy Spirit now comes inside and you actually become a new person, a new person. And that's the first in this parable that Jesus tells us how to be prepared. Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul says about his fellow Israelites, I can testify about them. They have a zeal for God, but it's not based on knowledge. They tried to establish their own righteousness, and they missed the righteousness, the only righteousness that will get you to the kingdom of heaven, righteousness by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Galatians 6, 15, Paul says circumcision is not what counts or uncircumcision, not any religious stuff like that. The only thing that counts is a new creation. And here's the bottom line. Have you been born again? Because if you're just religious, you're going to never see the kingdom of heaven. No matter how committed you are. That's the first parable. Let's read the second one. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey, and the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work, and he gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, 
harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. He who have, he'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, if you dig too deep, you may miss the natural meaning of this parable. What is it? Well, I'll tell you one before I give you the main point. One is, listen, this one who had the one talent, and it's not a question of who had the most talents. That's obvious because the one who had the two and went out and invested that is commended just like the one who had the five. And if the one who had the one had invested it into kingdom, heavenly investments, he would have been commended too. It's not a question of how much. The third servant didn't know his master. Fear, because I know you're a hard man. That's some people's view of God. Oh, yeah, he is a holy God. Oh, yeah, he is a God of justice. Oh, yeah, he is a God that you'll have to answer to one day. However, however, if you really come into relationship with him, if you really come to know him through faith in Jesus Christ, you know He's so full of grace. He's so full of mercy. He's so compassionate. He's so loving. This guy didn't know his master. A talent, a silver talent, which is what you're dealing with here, weighed about a 75 pounds. In our economy today, it, one talent would have been worth about $250,000. That's quite a sum. So the two talents is like a half million dollars. What's the point? Again, if you just stop and think about the parable, I think the implication is this is the wealth that God gave you in this life, at least from the point that you began to serve this master, that you had this master. And this is the wealth that he's given you. What have you done with it? And at the very least, if you're really born again, if you really know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the point of the parable to me is so simple and yet so profound. At the very least, if you're not going to go out and do anything personally, at least give it to somebody. Let invested in heavenly and kingdom purposes. And I think that entity, first and foremost, is the local church. And extensions of the local church that are sharing the gospel and reaching out in the name of Jesus. There's one more, and we'll close with this one. The last parable, let me read it, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. By the way, I learned years ago in Israel that even today, 
some goats travel with sheep and some sheep travel with goats and some of them, their breeds are so similar that you can't tell by just looking at them, which is the sheep and which is the goat. Very interesting. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Who are the brothers he's talking about? Galatians says that as Christians, we ought to do good to all people, all people, especially those who belong to the family of faith, all people. That's what Jesus did. You look at his life. You look at his first coming. Three years of ministry, what did he do? He reached out to hurting humanity. He reached out, and when he had the opportunity, he reached out to needy people in the name of heaven. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he'll reply, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You know the Christian life is not so much a list of don't do's as it is a list of do's. And it's reaching out. I sometimes enjoy the chit-chat after a service and some people regularly come up and they just want to chit-chat with me and tell me about what happened in their week last week, tell me about their vacation, uh, tell me about some sports event. And, and I don't mind that. Actually, that's not true. Sometimes I hate it. That's just being honest. You know what I really love? Man, I'll tell you, last night I met a lady, young lady in the, in the lobby. Name's Amanda. Got to spend a few minutes talking with her. She's been here about a month. She doesn't know anybody in the church. Her Catholic father, who now, because of her past and because of her background, you know, I guess she wasn't really welcome in those circles anymore. And so <laughs> somehow the father knew about us and thought, well, <laughs> you can go fit in over there. You go visit that Calvary Chapel. And so she's been here about a month. She just got out of prison, 18 months in prison. And my heart just went out to this girl. And we're going to get her hooked up with some of the ministries that are happening, and, and who knows what God's going to do, but I'm telling you, that, that excited me more than any chit-chat about a sports event or a fishing trip or anything. And I mean, that's where, that's where it really is. It's being able to reach out and touch somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not about attending church. 
you attend church till your butt print is in the seat and that's all you got. My God, help us, help us, help us. You want to be ready? You want to be ready? Make sure you're born again. You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. People having idols might seem like an outdated idea, but the truth is people have all kinds of idols these days. It might not be a carved image or something that you literally bow down to, but what about your priorities? It could be sports or that TV show that you just can't miss or anything that takes your focus away from God and is put in a higher standing than Him. The book of Hebrews is great at highlighting how God should be in that top priority spot, and if anything else takes his place, then it's an idol. Do you see these areas in your life today? Well, we all have things that we need help to keep in check, and Hebrews provides a solid reminder of who God is and how nothing else can compare. We're so glad that you've taken the time to listen today. Here at The Living Word, we'd love for you to pray for this ministry. We always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first, just like Hebrews focuses on. We need God's guidance, so would you pray that we'd always recognize His voice? Thanks so much for praying. If you'd like to connect with us in person, check out ccfstpete.church for our service times. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Hebrews, right here on The Living Word.